Sarah, episode 46. I never thought it would ever happen that would be this I know. Far, which is pretty amazing. Well, so it's only appropriate that, I don't know whether we want to cover this off quickly now. Next week is also going to be the medal ceremony. It is. <laughs> Why is it next week, Rob? <laughs> Why is it next week? Because... Well, two reasons. Obviously, we had to wait to see whether we completed it. But I think also yes. the medals aren't quite... Well, they're, made yet. They're, 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 being, they're kind they're, of a blue Peter job. They're, yeah. still in, they're still in production, aren't they? They are, yes. But that's where there's more love behind it in the making of it. So Absolutely. So, yeah. You can't rush these yeah. things. No, exactly. It has to be just right as well. So why don't we cross this off? So the two films this week that we're going to review are Zero Dark Thirty and the new release, Judas and the Black Messiah total runtime was 4 hours 43 I got a bit worried here because I totted up all my walks and runs and I got to 4 hours 9 minutes before I checked and thought oh my god but then I realised I had a round of golf ah so okay. that obviously that takes a while yeah that, yeah yeah that ticks so that ticks that box so so did you do <laughs> did that take half of that time well i know i mean the thing is if you <laughs> it's a long walk spoiled they say isn't it but that was about four hours so so yes i'm i'm over the line i'm over the line well done i'm over the line too yeah! i've done quite a lot of walks uh less running this week more walks because i'm so full of hay fever and cold it's been walks and people must be wondering why is she logging that eight minute walk just go down to the park or something this is why because of the podcast and also when my boys have just started playing football now as well and i've started walking around the field when my youngest is playing you know it just gets me moving a bit more i think it's good and actually my husband thought we were going to continue doing this as a this was going to be an every week thing which we can we can do that but i think we completed the first month anyway so that's cool and i think it is medal prize giving next week it's made me realise that I need to actually see walking as exercise. I think in my head, yeah, as it's every, it's like well, golf. I know it's exercise. And obviously during the pandemic, walking has become a bigger thing often. You know, more people, I suppose, are going for walks. But yeah, in my head, it's like, oh, you know, if I go for a run, I record it on the whole Garmin thing. Go for a walk, I don't. But I'm getting better at recording it and seeing mm. it as exercise. It's definitely good exercise. And it also settles your mind. If you've had a busy day at work, it's good to clear the mind mind with a walk and especially on a beautiful day like it is now yeah it's lovely we're very lucky that we live in the country as well so we can go out to the fields and woods and and things like that no it's pretty special at the moment so before we go on i confess yet again probably letting the side down i got a bit hooked on an f1 kind of you know docu series that i ended up binging so i haven't made any more progress on oak island you'll be glad to hear uh still haven't found any treasure that i'm particularly interested in and yes as i say i haven't really been watching any new film releases but i think as we're getting close to the oscars we're going to be watching some more oscar nominated films i think there are some that i want to try and now squeeze in what about you if if you had a chance to watch anything new i watched a bit of opal hunters actually (laughs) i love it i love it and actually it's a bit more interesting than than the gold hunter one oh Um, my lord it's beautiful colors opals have aren't they they have this cauliflower opal you can get and dig out which is amazing and it's all these beautiful like rainbow colors it's stunning anyway yes i watched a tiny smidgen of that and then i watched back to back I've watched the whole series in like two days of Emily in Paris, which is created by the writer, Darren Starr, who, who wrote Sex and the City. It's similar, but has more of a mix of friends and it's set in Paris. And it is quite entertaining. 
watched the first three episodes, then you hooked, I think. And then I did watch United States versus Billy Holiday, which is Oscar nominated uh, Andrea Day for Best Actress. And she was fantastic in it. It's very dark, very sad as well. Billy Holiday only lived to 44, insinuated that she was a prostitute from 12, beaten by her husband, addicted to drugs. The police always trying to trip her up and, and catch her with, with the drugs. And then her going to court several times. She just struggled with life, really. And I think Frances McDormand's got a, a bit of a challenge there. I think Andrea Day could actually win it. That's interesting you watch that film because... I suppose it's been sitting there and I think it's the subject matter that doesn't particularly grab me. But did you find, I mean, I'm not saying there's a huge fan base out there maybe of today's generation, Billie Holiday fans, but did you need to kind of know a Billie Holiday's music to appreciate the film? I didn't know much in the way of Billie Holiday's music. I mean, she was popular in the 40s and 50s, more in the 50s, I would say. She died in 1959. Her voice reminded me of Amy Winehouse's completely. And there was a very similar style. But what Billie Holiday got done for quite a lot of the time was when she was trying to sing a song about Starfruit, I think it was called. And it was really about black people being burnt by the Ku Klux Klan, which was is horrible. But if you listen to the words carefully on Starfruit, you can hear what she's trying to describe in that. And that would often be her first song that she would perform in concert. And she would be selling out. She would sell out. She did tours, sold out everywhere. Huge success. She travelled abroad as well. Quite an amazing lady, considering she put up with a lot of problems throughout her whole life. Her personal life was a mess, basically. Good stuff. Right. Well, now that you've seen that, and obviously with it being up there on the Oscar category yeah. for Best Actress, I think I'm going to have to watch it. It's quite sad, though, when you have you know these films with Best actress or actor in a leading role when they're always quite tragic films i think in general though especially actors it's when they get given material that is quite heavily emotional in some way it gives them the chance to really get stuck into a character and i i think that's why in general light-hearted films or comedy films don't tend to shine mm. through at the oscars but yeah no, it'd be interesting to it's see quite depressing really when you see some of the films that uh, get yeah, yeah yeah absolutely well you think back to judy with Renny zellweger last year that that's that sad of, yeah exactly you know and i tend also i think you see so often now it's the biopics as well isn't it mm. i think when mm. you can kind of latch yes. onto a real story that's when it has a bit more impact a bit more resonance cool all right well Where do you want to start? Should we go with the old one, Zero Dark Thirty? Let's do it. So this was one of my films, released in 2012, directed by Catherine Bigelow, uh, who has also directed, we've reviewed Point Break, there's K-19, The Widowmaker, and The Hurt Locker as well. Some great films there. And the writer was Mark Bowl, who also wrote The Hurt Locker as well. So those two have worked together before. Cast includes Jessica Chastain, Joel Egerton, Chris Pratt, Mark Strong, Jason Clark, and Jennifer L. It's two hours, 37 minutes long, but I think it keeps you going. I think it's quite fast-paced as well. We join Maya, who's played by Chastain, who's a CIA operative in Pakistan. This is two years after 9-11 terrorist attack, and she's with a team on the hunt for al-Qaeda terrorist Osamar bin Laden, killed by Navy SEALs in Abbottabad, Pakistan, in May time in 2011. The first scene is really, you see an interrogation of prisoner, and Maya has this balaclava on, so you can't really see whether it's male or female. She likes to kind of stay out of the interrogation part, 
and really it Jason Clark's character that sort of does most of the interrogation really just trying to find out where Bin Laden could be hiding and that is really the focus for the told film and many efforts are made to track him down and unfortunately many operatives get killed along the way as well so we have Jason Clark who plays Dan who supports Mayor with the hunt and we've got Egerton and Pratt who are more on the SWAT Navy SEALs team it's true to life there are some variations within the film as well pretty graphic and gritty but the cinematography directing and acting are something else I have to say and got nominated for five Oscars and it walked away with one which was best sound editing uh, Chastine lost out to Jennifer Lawrence at the Oscars she was in Silver Lining Playbook and Bigelow lost out to Life of Pi which we have reviewed as well which is an outstanding film but Jessica Chastain Chastain did get a Golden Globe for her performance as well. So we've been looking in the run-up to these Oscars at who's been winning Golden Globes. And it's not always the people that win the Golden Globes that go on to win the Oscars. So this film has done a lot of filming in Poland or India. And really, the last scene with the raid on Bin Laden... That's really the storyline, is, is hunting down Bin Laden. There isn't much else to it. There's a, just a journey on how they get to that situation, really. And Rob, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Um, I, but I found it absolutely riveting. I think it's one of those films, and it reminds me a bit of a film that I've seen more recently after this, because I obviously watched this quite a, a while ago, which was called Eye in the Sky, which was... Okay, not seen that. Yeah, it's a really interesting film with Helen Mirren, who effectively is in charge of an operation to capture terrorists in Kenya. And a lot of it is very procedural, you know, as in so much of the story is about that hunt you know, you feel like you're inside the CIA, you know, you're seeing all the communications, you're seeing piece by piece how they eventually execute the operation. And I think sometimes these types of film, they just grab you purely because, I don't know, it's just, I just find it very engaging to see how they get from A to B. Yeah, so all the processes. Exactly. Yeah, you could argue, I mean, sometimes you watch it and you think, God, there's so much process, there's so much process till you get to the climatic sequence, which for me is what I will always remember this film for. I mean, there are some scenes where you see waterboarding and you you see certain kind of forms of interrogation, borderline torture. It's quite uncomfortable to watch. But really, essentially, because it's all through the eyes of Jessica Chastain's character and this ruthless determination she has to succeed where everyone else around her seems to be flailing. And I think also because, you know, she's a female character, that there seems to be a lot more, if you like, heft to the role because there are so many male protagonists playing roles as her seniors who, let's just say, may be losing faith in her and the team. Yeah. That she is the one that challenges them all the time to stick with her and almost demands that as she becomes more confident and more determined. So it's a stellar performance from Jessica Mm. Chastain. But she also needs to be ballsy as well because she's surrounded by men. She's Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, there's her and and also Jennifer Earle's character. It's just the two of them and then the rest are all men, basically, in the film. And it took a decade 
from the 9-11 till bin laden was killed in in, in may 2011 it was a long time that they were hunting for him i, I think that doesn't potentially come through from the film the, the way this has to play is to keep you engaged it has to be quite pacey and i think the way mm. they treat that in one particular part of the movie is when jessica chastain's character goes up and is writing the number of days that passes by yes a particular yep. moment of the film i think that's their way of getting across that this just took a lot of time so i think yes you get heavily into the procedural stuff you get very sucked into just how they get the information and the intel out of the various captives that they're interrogating that eventually brings us to this one location that they've settled upon where they believe bin laden is but even then you very much get the impression that because of the various uncertainties in terms of just how much surveillance they can put on this one building. You know, they're they're talking percentages. It's like, you know, that the conversation that would have obviously taken place is how certain are we? Based on the intelligence we've got, how certain are we? You know, it ranges from like 60% to, to, to you know, those who are pessimistic, more through to 80%. You, you're led to believe they have enough intelligence to make it convincing enough to basically send in the Navy SEALs. And oh. for me, that is always the piece that stands out. From the moment the Navy SEALs oh. leave the base, when Mayer has those brief exchanges with the, you know, the macho Navy SEALs and, and, and then <laughs> sees them go off, you know, then she's just waiting. I think you feel that in the same way she feels. It's almost like suddenly she's very alone and then you're just waiting. And and again, one of the most impactful things for me is, you know, when they come back to the base and they, you know, they have Bin Laden's body and then everything is done. And then you just see this shot of Chastain. It sounds like, right, okay. Wow, that chapter of my life is now over. But it's yeah, almost like ten years. Yeah, yeah precisely. You wow. know, you can see it in her face. It's like, oh, what you know, the the emotional drain it's had on her entire life. It must have been so strange once it was all done. Yeah. I mean, I find it incredible as well that Jessica Chastain was contacted by Bigelow in November 2011. And then this film got made in 2012 and Bin Laden was killed in May 2011. It was so short after this, probably because she wants to get in there with this story as quickly as possible before anyone else did, really. But I think it was, it was a lot of dark in the film, a lot of grittiness and torture, unfortunately. And I think Chris Pratt brings a bit of light to the film. He's a bit of a sort of comedy character in the, in the Navy SEALs, a bit like one of the jarheads, as you see in other films. Yeah, but as I say, for me, it's always going to be that sequence because, you know, when these two helicopters fly into the compound, to be honest, as soon as you see them, because obviously they are incredibly technically advanced, you're led to believe these are choppers with technology that were never used to avoid radar. As they fly in and you're just seeing them fly in at night, even that sequence before they even get to the target, there's something about it. You just think, oh my God, here we go. Go. I found it exhilarating. And I thought from that moment all the way yeah. through to, you know, when they go into the compound, it's absolute warren of 
rooms on three or four floors. You know, they're obviously they're, they're shooting people. They're trying to figure out where the children are. They're having to take evidence. It's hugely complex mm. in the dead of night. And it doesn't obviously go smoothly, although they get Bin Laden, which is the... <laughs> and I think that's the thing. I think mm. with this film, because you're so conscious of the importance, I suppose, of getting Bin Laden, that's what it's all building to. And as mm. they're going from room to room, thinking, are mm. they going? is he going to be there? Mm. Are they going to find mm. him? That moment when he is there and suddenly it's done. I don't know. It's almost haunting in some ways as much as it is a thrill ride watching them execute that mission. Yeah, and then they take a photo, I think. Um, or did they take his fingerprint as well? And then Yeah, but they're taking it on the send phone. It to get yeah. verify, and then and that's verify, and that's it, job done. Off yeah, you go. Precisely. But uh, to be honest, the, the, the chopper in the film was very noisy coming in. And I know that I read up on IMDb that the chopper wasn't exactly the same as what they use in, in real life. I think the blades are designed in such a way that they're quieter as they come in, uh, whereas the chopper for the, this film were pretty noisy. And if, if I heard those coming, I'll be going underground definitely and then also they use the real night goggles as well apparently so there were some things that they they tried to pay attention to detail but there was a couple of other things but maybe it was harder for them to get their hands on because it cost a lot of money basically that's a really interesting point you brought that up because i actually thought that myself when they introduced these two helicopters and that technology how they were able to silence the propellers i was fascinated by that but like you say mm. then as they flew in i was thinking the same thing like well they just sound really mm. noisy how, how on yeah. earth did... well but there was villagers coming to watch what on earth was going on weren't there as well so it must have been fairly noisy but i'm not sure whether when on the actual day it happens whether they they would have had that response i think they changed the script slightly after after Bin Laden was shot as well, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it cost forty million to make. They spent quite a lot of money on this, some of the special effects in particular, and it took one hundred and thirty million dollars worldwide gross, which is it's not a huge amount, but not as bad as some other films that we've reviewed. I think it's, it's a, not a bad balance, really. So, I mean, a lot of the filming was done in Poland and in India. I guess they felt uncomfortable doing it in Pakistan, which is where it all took place. And apparently this last scene that you've just described, the raid of Bin Laden, took actually 25 minutes, the filming of that bit. And apparently it was just a few minutes less than the real life scenario the SEALs took. Yeah, which is incredible, isn't it? And Mark Bowl, the writer, had to share the script with the CIA before they could start filming. Apparently one or two scenes were removed because they there was an operative that they had that was drunk in the film, so they had to take that out. But yeah, I don't know whether you've got any further thoughts. Not really. As I say, it's, it's just it's just a super riveting. It is long, but at the same time, if you, when you get sucked into the whole thing, especially I think when it kicks into that third act, it really comes into its own. I also love to see James Candolfini uh, have a brief role in this as the CIA director, only because I'm a sucker for James Candolfini, having been a fan of The Sopranos. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I really liked it. I really, really liked it. I think there are some films you watch where you get swept up in a in the characters and in the storyline and and in all the various arts of the kind of drama. But for this, it was just very, very procedural, very well shot, very well acted with a story that you're going to be interested in purely because of the importance of it with Bin Laden and with an amazing final third in this fantastic mission. 
it was just very, very, very well done. And I mean, Chris Pratt had to really train to be a Navy SEAL in this as well. And it's this weight kind of fluctuates a little bit because shot before Guardians of the Galaxy. And he did a lot of TV before this film and then Moneyball. He had to get fit for that. And then he did The Delivery Man, I think, where he was a little bit cuddlier. But Guardians of the Galaxy, I think he was probably slightly fitter than he was in this film even. And then Jessica Chastain and Jason Clark both starred in Lawless in the same year, which is on my list. And also, I mean, Chastain, she did four films in 2012 and 2013. She was starting to get be hot property. Yeah, I mean, we liked seeing her in Molly's Game, didn't we? And I'd love to see her win an Oscar at some point. Yeah, I, I love her. I think she's fantastic. I think she's just got such amazing range and she just has such a presence about her, I think, in every film she does. So I'm yeah. sure eventually she'll get given that role that will in turn give her an Oscar. So come on then, what are you going to give it? You go first. I mean, it was it was my film, so you go first. Okay, I'm going to give it 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. Okay, I'm going to give it 9 out of 10. I really enjoyed it, and it was very gritty. I, all right, it was a little bit long. That's probably why I didn't give it 10 out of 10. I watched it fairly recently, and I've watched it again, and yeah, it's a really good watch. As close to the truth as it possibly can. Yeah, a really good watch. Good stuff. So next film, the new film, is Judas and the Black Messiah. So, yes, Judas and the Black Messiah. This is a film which is one of the frontrunners at the Oscars. So this is directed by Shaka King, obviously released this year. We have a story here by Will Burson, Shaka King, Kenneth Lucas and Keith Lucas, screenplay by Will Burson and Shaka King, stars Daniel Kaluuya, Keith Stanfield, Jesse Plemons, and also you'll see that Martin Sheen is in this film. Yes. Playing With J. a slightly Ed- different nose, That's didn't right. he? A bit of prosthetics, mm. but J. Edgar mm-hmm. So it's late 60s, petty criminal Bill O'Neill, played by Lakeith Stanfield, is arrested after posing as an FBI agent in order to steal a car. FBI agent Roy Mitchell, played by Jesse Plemons, offers to drop charges if he goes undercover to infiltrate the Illinois group of the Black Panther Party, led by Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kaluuya. So O'Neill gains the trust of Hampton as a security officer, and as he gets busy forming alliances with rival gangs to create the formation of the Multiracial Rainbow Coalition whilst running a community outreach program for children. He also falls for Deborah Johnson, a fellow BPP member uh, who falls pregnant. All the while, O'Neill is passing over intel on the uh, Black Panther Party and all of their activities to Mitchell at the FBI, who in turn learns from his superiors that they already have an inside man who's hiding out at the local BPP offices in order to facilitate search warrants for the FBI. This leads to Hampton's arrest and imprisonment, and whilst he's on the inside, we have a shootout that occurs between the police and the BPP office, causing more multiple deaths on both sides. And when Hampton is released from prison, O'Neill, who's growing increasingly uncomfortable and paranoid that he'll be exposed within the group, he gets orders from Mitchell via FBI director J. Edgar Hoover, as we said, played by Martin Sheen, to, let's just say, neutralise Hampton. And Mm. I will leave it at that, really. Because although this is obviously based on a true story, I think that final third and how all that plays out is worth leaving for people who maybe don't know the story because it's quite a dramatic ending to the film. 
I mean, this is a film that we were both keen to watch. I think we discussed in previous podcasts, I think only last week, that you've got Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield both up Oscars for their performances in this, and you can totally see why. We've both seen The Trial of Chicago 7, and we've both seen One Night in Miami, which was a film that we reviewed. And I think, you know, these three films gaining a lot of Oscar bars and obviously nominated quite heavily. I think it's just a really interesting year where more and more we're seeing these films dealing with the issue of race, which obviously just simply doesn't go away. And my overriding feeling, I think, when I watch these films now, is just how crazy it is that, you know, that, that this issue that was, you know, we're talking 50 years ago, there has been progress, but still so many of these issues are still around. I, I left this film just feeling a little bit astonished, really, and a little bit sad. And it's a very, very powerful film. It's incredibly riveting, amazing performances. I think mm. Daniel Kluwer just has that presence about him. I remember when I saw Get Out. Yeah. He just has that look about him, which completely sucks you in. And yeah, it was a great film, but as I say, just brings forward that conversation, which is great because it has to be had. It has to keep being ramming it home that so many of these issues are still Continuing. playing out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which is, it is shocking. And yeah, I would say some things have changed. I would say there's less weapons used today. Uh, there was a lot of weapons in this that the Black Panther group had and also what the police were, you know, shooting back. So there's a lot of violence going on. You don't see that as much today, but there are obviously in America, there are people with guns and knives. But I think we're going to see the next generation, the next generation after that is seeing hopefully some elements of it getting better because really parents need to educate their children from right and wrong, really. I mean, just as an example, I saw, I saw a post on LinkedIn the other day where a colleague's friend posted the highlight of his day and it was, it was set in America. He was just shopping and his little girl, aged around four, was just wearing a princess dress and she yells across the mall, look, mummy, daddy, there's my twin, there's my twin. And delighted, she runs up to the other little girl and insists on having a photo of both of them together as twins. One, you see the picture, one of them's white and one of them's black. And I love it that that age, there's no prejudice at all. You know, some we hope that it sticks, but many, unfortunately, it doesn't. And when I saw that on LinkedIn, I was it was kind of like, that's really nice that he's put that out there. But there's so many people that don't follow that at all. And it's it's a shocking, this film's really shocking. And I can see why Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield are up for Oscars for this film. I, to be honest, when after the film, when we spoke, because we watched this at the same time, didn't we? I, I said, actually, there's not a huge amount of difference between the actors. They're in the both the same category at the Oscars, which is Best Supporting Actor. And I was thinking, why aren't they in Best Actor roles? Because they're the title of the film as well. All right, they're not their real names, but Judas and the Black Messiah. We've got Fred Hampton as the Black Messiah, and we've got Bill O'Neill, who's, who's the Judas, basically. It's powerful. It's shocking. It, I can't really get over the fact that the police were really bad and the FBI, you know, led by Edgar Hoover, were so deceitful and so violent towards the Black Panthers. And then obviously they would be violent back. And I don't know how the FBI and, and the police could live with what they'd done and didn't have some sort of element of PTSD, let's just say, after 
they're basically at, were at war with each other. And to avoid going to prison and being beaten, you know, O'Neill went down the deceitful path, really, to, to the Black Panthers. And to, and he, you could see through the film, he felt awful for because he was believing in what Hampton was, was saying as well. And he, he wanted to follow, but then he knew at the same time he, he had to stay on track and, and do what Mitchell was asking him to do. He was an informant for Mitchell, really. I mean, at the end of the film, you do see a clip of the real O'Neill. He was doing a documentary. And the time that documentary was released, I think it was Martin Luther King Day. And what's even more shocking is that that documentary was released on that day and he then killed himself at the age of 40 because he was so ashamed of what he had done, which is horrible that he'd been living through his life he was recruited at 17 and over 20 years of just having that on his mind at all times and i think that's another really interesting point that he was 17 at the time mm. and hampton was 21 i mean to trying to get your head around what your life is like at those kind of ages and just the risks that they were putting themselves through Obviously, violence is not the answer to everything. Of course, it's no. not. However, no. when all is lost and you believe there is no other way, then I can understand why you would stand your ground. And I can understand why in certain situations, the only solution you can see is force. And I think that is so understandable when it comes to this issue mm. of race. It, it's institutional corruption at the very highest level that these generations have had to live through. And yeah, I, I think the positives that you have to try and take out of these films, obviously apart from just the enjoyment of watching a fantastic film, so well made, so well acted, is that they are being made, that they are getting these kind of releases, they are getting these major stars in them, you know, the messages continuing mm. to get across mm. and what with the last year with Black Lives Matter and obviously George Floyd and it will take another generation I think before you start to see any kind of meaningful change because again I think it's a generational thing as well and I also kind of you know this isn't going to be the same for everyone but for me like living what is a relatively privileged white middle class life in a society which is not really touched by this today yeah I don't know, you kind of watch this and you feel helpless and you kind of feel like, how can all this stuff just be kind of going mm. on without you really being troubled by it? It just may, makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable that this kind of stuff has gone on and still goes on in the world. And mm. yet you're kind of sheltered from it in reality. Whereas for others, it's a daily, daily struggle yeah. that has caused so much tension and death and God knows what else. So mm. Mm. yeah. One of those films where you come out of it and you, you're thinking less about, the, I don't know, the direction of cinematography and, and acting mm. and you're thinking more about just the, the kind of nature of the story and the message and everything else. It, it really does hit home. Yeah, I mean, Fred Hampton came across as a regular guy on occasions as well. He was like a nice guy when he was with his mum, with his girlfriend, and he had a baby on the way as well. But he had such strong beliefs, obviously. He was leading this group in Chicago, and nothing was going to get in his way for that, really. And it, But then there's O'Neill... I mean, he was a nice guy as well. All right, he was a criminal at the start. He was a young lad that didn't have much money and, and he stole a car and he then got caught. Then he was using police identity as well. So the police were really laid into him as well. You know, he was dripping with blood when he was being interviewed by Mitchell. 
he just wanted to comply because he didn't want to get into any more trouble, basically. But he was young as well at the same time. What I read also is apparently Mitchell was, well, he wasn't really, didn't come across as a very nice person, really, did he? And he didn't really hurt anyone, but he just strategically recruited O'Neill and was quite manipulative. He wanted to get what he wanted, really. But what the film didn't portray is that he was actually a family man. And actually, Mitchell would invite O'Neill over for dinner regularly. He was apparently almost like a friend to him you know bonded with him as well so we kind of saw a little glimpse of that because way O'Neill walks through the restaurant to meet him on that first occasion you know had a bit of a swagger and and felt you know Mr Confident but then uh, Mitchell would lay something else on the table to say no you need to do this next and that would then make O'Neill a bit nervous about things but great to see Daniel Kalua and Lakeith uh, Stanfield playing opposite each other again you mentioned Get Out before they've been together in that film and Kalua was fantastic at Black Panther Wakabi also and then he's got three more films on the horizon he obviously likes doing horror films because he's got another one of those coming coming up and Lakeith Stanfield he's done quite a few credible films he's got done Knives Out Selma Snowden to just name a few as well and Jesse uh, Pyman he's done a few gangster detective police kind of jarhead films as well he's been in Battlehead Breaking Bad I remember him most in I think and he's done Game Night The Irishman American Maid yeah Plemons I absolutely love him I mean I remember seeing him in Breaking Bad. Yeah, that's, that's what I remember in the most. Yeah, yeah. And it, I don't know what it is about him. He's got this same kind of feel as Matt Damon. No, not Matt Damon. Although he I looks, see he, he looks, looks like Matt Damon. Matter. I mean, he died sadly. Philip Seymour Philip Hoffman. Seymour. I, see, I, I don't. I don't see that. I saw that written down somewhere as well, but I, well, I, don't, I really don't see it. I don't necessarily mean with the way he looks. I mean mm. more in terms of the roles. You know, he gets uh. almost these kind of silent roles where he seems to nail all of his performances and yet he never really takes roles that give him the limelight. But I'm sure mm. slowly, just with Philip Seymour Hoffman, that's going to change. I mean, for example, he is starring alongside uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro in Scorsese's film Killers of the Flower Moon that's in pre-production. So I think, as you can see, kind of roles he's been doing, as you've listed, I think he's going to start to kind of really climb up there and take far more prominent roles. And Daniel Kaluuya, Get Out, also Queen and Slim, is a film I'd highly recommend. It's a modern-day Bonnie and Clyde-type film that he did shortly after Get Mm. Out, which didn't get huge attention, but it's fantastic fantastic film so oh, is it i mean the irishman which he's performed in you know is a scorsese film as well so it doesn't surprise yeah. me that he's done a good job and he's been picked up again to work with them so precisely so this is the new release so i'm i'm gonna give this eight and a half out of ten yeah, I, I would agree with you on that one. I was toying with eight and a half or nine, actually. It's a really good film, but there was on occasions where I switched off, I have to be honest. But it's very gritty and strong and a lot of shoot-em-ups. And it just uh, it's just shocking, really, that happened. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, as I say, now we've got Oscar season kind of coming up. It's going to be really, really interesting to see who walks away with that best supporting mm. actor. On that point, and before we get into a brief chat about the Oscars, it was interesting to see that the Screen Actors Guild mm-hmm. just gave best picture to the trial of the Chicago 7. And 
It's really interesting this. Really? I've had a conversation. Yeah. I know we've talked about this before. I've talked to other people about this before. I mean, I thought, I say this again, The Trial of Chicago 7, I thought was just a good, solid film. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't find it Oscar worthy. And it, it does, you know, maybe this is an interesting point to finish on because we talked about this after watching Judas and the Black Messiah. You think of the films that are up for Oscars. So, so you think of One Night in Miami, you think of Billie Holiday, Judas and the Black Messiah, Child of Chicago 7, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And also, this is the year that you have two female directors, which has never happened before. Is this going to be the year where the Oscars will go to these kind of films, to these kind of you know actors, to these kind of directors in order to really make a statement? I think it's a great opportunity. And although like the cynic in you might say it's a PR move, because we know there's so always so much controversy about you know the lack of diversity of these major awards. But I do wonder whether this is an opportunity they have to grab. I mean, we talked about Chadwick Boseman. You feel is going to get that Oscar. Daniel. I'd be shocked if he doesn't. Well, Let's that's just what say I mean. That. You kind of feel like everything is pointing towards mm. this being that year. And if if nothing more, the films like Trial of Chicago Seven, mm. because of the storyline, that it is still worthy of a film getting an Oscar. I mean, I just say the subject matter yeah. totally understand. So on that basis, maybe it's worth it. I, but yeah, just going back to that point, I, I, I didn't find that film Oscar worthy. No. I didn't either. And Sasha Baron Cohen is up for a Best Supporting Oscar for this film. And I would be really shocked if he got it, actually. I really think Daniel Kaluuya should get it, really. But I would say Lakeith Stanfield was pretty close to tout the performance, um, really, in this film. So I'd be really shocked if Sasha Baron Cohen gets it. But uh, the film we're going to watch is is another Oscar film, isn't it? Well, it is. We need need to... I'd love it to be... I'm hoping that it's going to have some light, because we've watched probably last couple of weeks we've watched some really gritty dark movies i have to say and i think it's a really good one in so much as it allows us to just talk about the remaining two categories that we probably wanted to which is i mean first of all actress in a supporting role is a tricky category for us to talk about because the nominees for actress in a supporting role you've got maria bakalova in borat's subsequent movie film I admit I haven't seen. You've got Glenn Close from Hillbilly Elegy. I haven't seen. Olivia Colman, The Father, Not Out. Mank, I haven't watched all the way through with Amanda Seyfried. Mm. And Yu Jun Jun uh, for Minari, the film we're going to do. And then if we look at Best Director, which I think is, is, is the only remaining category we haven't talked about, we won't go into screenplays, but the Best Directing category, we've got Promising Young Woman that we have mm-hmm. seen, Emerald Fennel. There's a lot of hype around her, actually at the moment so it's going to be an interesting one with it yeah absolutely and of course yeah and of course she's one of those two female directors the other chloe Zhao mm. being mm-hmm. nomadland and then minari lee isaac shung uh, david fincher for mank and mm-hmm. thomas vinterberg for another round uh, which is another film we have yet yeah. to see I didn't think Emerald Fennel would get director, but, you know, we thought Chicago 7 wouldn't get anything, so maybe we're wrong. I haven't seen the other films. We're going to watch Minari this week, and I know Mank has had a lot of hype about it as well. I don't think Emerald Fennel will get it purely because I don't think the film itself is worthy of a film they would give it for. I think it's going to be between Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and I think it will be up against David Fincher and Lee Isaac Chung. I think it's those three films, Mank, Mm. Minari or Nomadland. I'm hoping Minari would be really nice 
film to watch. So Minari, it's actually up for six Oscars. So this is up for Best Director, it's up for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor. So I think it's a very Oscar-worthy film. And as Sarah says, I've only seen the trailer, but it is, I think, a film which is a bit lighter than maybe yeah. some we've seen recently. I mean, all, I mean, again, I'm reading off IMDb. Very simply, a Korean family starts a farm in 1980s Arkansas. So quite simple. But from watching the trailer, I mean, I'm seeing a line on the poster that says, this is the movie we need right now so i mean i right. think given the fact uplifting that this is, yeah yes. it's we want an uplifting film i think we yes. absolutely do so i'm i'm really looking forward to this one i have to say yeah good good and you can rent it from amazon apple tv chile sky store talk talk tv and rakuten tv as well so you can rent it at the moment good job so for our oldie you're picking off my mm. list. There's only two categories mm. to pick from, Sarah, for our oldie, which is musical, musical, and animation. I'm going to go for animation because the kids are off. I'm are you really? Animation. Yeah. Okay, you're going for animation. Well, crikey. I haven't got many. I've got five. <laughs> I will go for number four, please. Okay, number four is Ponyo. Ponyo? I haven't seen Ponyo before. This is a Hao Miyazaki film, well known for a whole raft of Japanese animations. I mean, all of his films have this unique look about it. It's almost yeah. like an illustration that's just coming off the page, almost in a, not not pure manga, but in, in a very realist way. I can't really describe it. It's a, it's a unique form of animation that is beautiful. And it's voiced by... Kate Blanchett, Matt Damon and Liam Neeson. As I say, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. And we have a five-year-old boy who develops a relationship with Ponyo, a young goldfish princess who longs to become a human after falling in love with him. So this is really steeped in fantasy, obviously. Yeah. I knew nothing about Miyazaki before I watched this years ago. And in actual fact, it wasn't too long ago that all of his films were on Netflix. So it's yeah, a really... streaming. It's streaming on Netflix at the moment. Is yeah. it? Oh, how about mm. that? That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, there you go then. I should say that this uh, was released in 2008 and is an hour and 40 minutes long, which we'll be glad to hear. Although having said that, we have now completed our, our exercise uh, challenge. But yeah, I'm going to okay. be really curious to, to know what you think. Definitely one to watch with the children. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Cool. Nice to watch something different. So hopefully two uplifting films this week, both East Asian, I guess, or Asian. One Korean and one Japanese. Japanese, so it's, yeah. it's, That's just a very good point. It'd be mm. nice actually to watch a couple of films that are not really Hollywood yeah. at all. Brilliant. So up to anything this week? Just more Easter holiday shenanigans going on, really. Mm. Um, I have my daughter's Same birthday here. coming up this week, so there'll be ah. festivities for that as well. Yeah, so just making the most of this sunshine, albeit quite cold sunshine, but still sunshine. I think we need to get out and play some tennis, don't we? Oh, we do. Yes. No, this is it. Yeah. No, both Sarah and I, I don't know, I used to. Kind of like tennis. former tennis players. Former tennis, there you go. <laughs> former tennis players. Former tennis players. I know I'll get out there on tennis court and I'll forget yeah, how nice. to play any shot ever. So it'd be quite amusing. But no, I'm, I'm up for it. Now that the, yeah. uh, now we're getting towards spring, summer, no excuse. Yeah, that sounds great. Cool. No, let's do some of that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm off as well with the kids. Good. And uh, having a bit of a rest, which is nice. But however, I have got full-blown hay fever and it makes it harder to have a oh. rest when you've got that. But uh, c'est la vie. 
It was supposed to be really cold this week. It is a bit chilly, but it's not that bad, I don't think. It's not too bad. I mean, it was snowing briefly today, but the thing is, it's sunny. Sunshine. It always ha- it always yeah. helps when there's sun out, even if it's yeah. a bit cold, to be quite honest. Yeah. Because uh, it's been so long since we've had sun on our faces with the whole pandemic yeah. lockdown. I think well, it, this time awesome. last year, it was gorgeous weather, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely gorgeous. I'm actually about to, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go for a make walk. most of the last half hour of sunshine. Um, Sounds good. Uh, Exactly. Right. All right. Great. Well, have a fantastic week. And I'll and you. see you next time for what will be our one year birthday. <gasps> oh, my goodness. I know. We should have, exactly. we should have champagne or. OK. All right. Well, look, kind of I'll, leave, I'll leave it to you <laughs> to come. I mean, I think jointly we should yes. bring some form of celebratory refreshments, at least to, to the next recording. So let's just let's leave it to each other to see what we come up with. Sounds great. Great. Nice I'm one. looking forward to these films as well. So All thank right you then. very much to our listeners and thanks very much, Rob. Okay, see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.